0: Paul says, for we do not want you to be ignorant brethren of our trouble, which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened beyond measure above strength so that we despaired even of life. Yes, we had the sentence of death in ourselves that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead, who delivered us from so great a death, And does deliver us, in whom we trust that he will still deliver us. You also helping together in prayer for us, that thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf for the gift granted to us through many. And Father, we just humbly pause and ask for the help of your Holy Spirit in his ministry this morning that your spirit would prepare us and give us genuinely an ear to hear what your spirit would say to this part of your church assembled this day. As we look at this portion of the word of God, we pray as always, Lord, that you by your spirit now would speak through what you have already spoken in the word of God and that we would hear what it is you're trying to say to us personally and collectively And that, Lord, you'd prepare us and supernaturally by your spirit's ministry speak to each and every one of our hearts this day. And we ask this together expectantly in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. You may be seated. You know, there's an old familiar saying that's been around in Christianity for quite some time. And it says this, man's extremity is God's opportunity. Man's extremity is God's opportunity. In other words, when a person is brought to their extremity, that is their furthest limit, you might say in some way, often that furthest limit that we are brought to humanly is often the spot where God has opportunity to really, it seems at times, begin to work for us as he wills. And sometimes we are actually taken to the end of our rope humanly so that really, ultimately, we might let God take over the reins. And sometimes we find the greatest discoveries we make in life, and certainly even about God, are oftentimes in our most difficult and darkest and hardest experiences. And that's what our text is addressing for us this morning. How, through an unplanned, severe hardship, That Paul and his ministry team went through they were brought to the end of their human limits and yet in that place God powerfully worked and he intervened and they experienced God doing things and they discovered wonderful realities about God now. Oftentimes in preparing, I will review multiple Bible translations to just try and glean the most out of the passage that we're looking at. And in this particular passage, the J.B. Phillips Greek translation of the New Testament did a beautiful job giving light to this particular passage of Scripture. I don't often do such, but I actually want to read to you from this translation, this passage of Scripture, just to help further hear Paul's heart as we look at it together this morning. J.B. Phillips in his Greek translation renders it this way. He said, we should like you to know something of what we went through in Asia. At that time, we were completely overwhelmed. The burden was more than we could bear. In fact, we told ourselves that this was the end. Yet we believe now that we had this experience of coming to the end of our rope that we might learn to trust not in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. It was God who preserved us from imminent death, and it is he who still preserves us. Further, we trust him to keep us safe in the future. And here you can join in by helping in praying for us so that the good that is done to us in answer to many prayers will mean eventually that many will thank God for our preservation. You know, last time as we began our study in 2 Corinthians together, we saw that Paul began this letter by indicating how, through human suffering and painful experiences, sometimes those very things can actually be productive in the results they end up bringing in our lives. And we talked about how, even just like people are willing to push through pain in exercise and through the pain of exercise, Benefits come greater health, further strength. Well, in the same way, sometimes we, in a sense, are exercised through trials and difficulties and hardships. And as much as we don't like the reality of pain or suffering and we live in a culture and certainly our American culture where we think something is wrong with pain, something is wrong with suffering and we do everything uh, that we possibly can even certainly in the tremendous abuse of prescriptions to do everything we can to subdue any form of struggle or suffering or pain or hardship, when the reality is that is a part of our human experience on this earth. And sometimes as much as any of us, we don't wanna sign up for it, pain can be productive. It can actually have a beneficial result in the midst of our hardships. Paul talked about last time how it can cause us to discover things about God, like he's the God of all comfort and that we can experience things from God, that we can directly experience the comfort of God in our lives in a way we never would have known it had we not gone through the hard thing instead of the easy situations in our lives. And it also, Paul said last time, can cause us to be better equipped by God because through receiving comfort in our own hard times, we then become a lot more equipped and prepared by God to be better comforters to other people. Because part of what God's going to do is bring people into our lives who are hurting and struggling and go through sorrow and pain in similar ways. And we're much better equipped to comfort others as God teaches us how to be better comforters. And it can also deepen our relationship with Jesus, Paul said. And it even at times can be the thing that God uses suffering to connect us with certain people to not only help them emotionally, but even sometimes help them spiritually. Paul said these things are happening to us even for your salvation. That is, in some ways, Paul realized sometimes it was through difficulty. God connected the dots of people and people got saved through a hard circumstance or a situation that God allowed. Well, it seems Paul now continues with this same spiritual concept of hardship and suffering. And here in our verses this morning, he relates to a very real experience of severe hardship that he himself went through. You know, it could be easy for them to say, oh, Paul, well, you're just you're just waxing theological talking to us about the God of all comfort and God's going to comfort us. And what easy to stand up there or write your spiritual letters and talk about these things. And and Paul says, no, I, I, I want you to realize I'm not just saying these things theoretically. I've known this too experientially. And so Paul here cites an example now in our verses on this same concept of severe hardship that he and his team of ministry workers experienced and what unfolded through their hardship. And there are lessons that we're able to learn from such things. Look back with me in our text in verse eight, Paul begins by saying, for we do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, of our trouble, he says, which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened beyond measure, he says, above strength, so that we despaired even of life. He says, verse nine, yes, we even had the sentence of death, in ourselves notice paul being directed by the holy spirit in both his thoughts and his communication to the page sensed clearly that it was important for him to clearly make the church at corinth and believers there aware of this extremely difficult circumstance that he and his ministry team went through It seems that he wanted to make sure that they were aware of exactly their hardship. He starts by describing here in verse 8 and 9, his ministry team's firsthand experience with severe, intense hardship. Do you see what he says in our verse? Look at the text there. He says, I don't want you to be ignorant of this, brethren. The word ignorant there, the idea is just, I don't want you to be uninformed. I don't want you to lack proper information, I don't want you not to be aware of these things. He's saying, I want to make sure that you know exactly what happened in our lives. The very things that we went through, I want to make sure that you are in the know. Now, to me, that's interesting because Paul's judgment as a spiritual leader here was that he felt it was important for the church to know about this particular hardship and the severe time of testing that they endured through as well as what it resulted in and what God produced through the process. Now, certainly, Paul was not someone to whine about hardships. That's not the reason Paul's saying this. Paul was not someone, though he went through a great deal of difficulty in his life and ministry, who was prompted to share his hardships and his own personal troubles because he was trying to just kind of you know, work people's emotions and get people to be manipulated into pity for him. So the question becomes, why then did Paul find it important, because clearly he did, to make sure people were not ignorant or unaware in the church there of this particular hardship? Well, I believe it was actually Paul's humility— And his love for people, and his desire to see people helped and God honored, Paul was not concerned with maintaining some image of being a spiritual superhero, of being someone who floated above the rest of others, and somehow hardship didn't come into his life because he was really close with God. He wanted people to see that he was real that he put on his sandals the same way everyone else in the church did, that he lived and followed and loved and served Jesus just like everyone else did. And he wanted people to see exactly what he experienced, I believe, so that they could relate to him. I think Paul's heart is that he desired that people would be impressed by God. Paul didn't want people to be impressed by him. Paul never, you see him in his ministry or his heart or his past. Paul never has this kind of celebrity type status. Paul just wanted people to be constantly impressed with God and for people to just have things imparted to them that would help them in their relationship with God and to know God on a deeper level. And here, Paul is a man, as we've said before, who faithfully served Jesus He was a man of great faith, and yet he reveals by sharing the example of his own severe hard experience, this truth, that faithfully serving the Lord, as well as having great faith in the Lord, does not exclude or make a believer immune from enduring hardships or going through forms of suffering and even severe suffering. Paul, in essence, is saying in these verses here, I want you to know and not be uninformed about this reality as christians we will suffer we will endure hardships we will at times maybe go through a tragedy or a severely intense difficulty and i think knowing that biblical truth can really help protect us can it not from being misguided mentally and emotionally and even spiritually as we go through times of hardship, knowing that biblical reality that as a follower of Christ, I can have great faith and be totally faithful to the Lord, but that's never going to exclude me or make me immune from hard times that we're going to undergo such. In fact, James writes the same thing in First uh, James chapter 1. 1 Peter writes the same thing, this idea of periodically experiencing hardships. Peter goes so far to say this in First Peter 4. Listen to his words. He says, dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you are going through as if some, listen, strange thing were happening to you. However, if you suffer as a Christian, don't be ashamed. Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good as to a faithful creator. I mean, think of what Peter's saying there. He's basically writing to a group of Christians who under the intense persecution of a totalitarian Roman government who were controlling their lives and they were miserable about it, Peter says to them, look, don't be surprised. Don't think it's strange that you're going through hardships on this earth. And life is only scheduled, as much as we don't like to acknowledge it, life is only scheduled to get worse as we draw closer to the return of the Lord and the unfolding of the last days. You know, God sent us the email with all the attachments clearly telling us in the word of God exactly what's going to happen. And yet somehow we don't want to open the email. The, The reality is some generation of the church is intended to go through very difficult times. Some generation is supposed to. And Peter, even in writing to them, he says, I'm like, don't, don't find it strange as if something strange, don't be surprised by it. But he says, however, if you suffer as a Christian, apparently the Bible teaches Christians do suffer. Don't be ashamed by it. Don't be ashamed that you're suffering. Oh, I, I, something must be wrong. Why am I going through a hard time in my life? He says, therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God, commit their souls to God in doing good. Do You hear what the Bible says? Those who suffer according to the will of God. Is that actually in the Bible? Yeah, it is. Suffer according to the will of God. Now there are self-inflicted trials. Sometimes I go through, you go through trials and we suffer and it's not according to the will of God. It's because of the will of man. And we've all done that, right? And usually when you're suffering and you know it was self-inflicted, you know, it's pretty obvious, But there are plenty of other times we're suffering, and it's actually suffering God permits, God allows, according to the will of God. And he says when that happens, we are to do one thing, to commit our soul to God, and Peter also says to glorify God in the matter. That's what we're instructed to do. When we suffer, we are biblically, not emotionally, not mentally, we are biblically called when we suffer to say, God, I'm suffering, you're allowing this. How do I glorify you in the midst of this? That's my top priority. In what way can I best glorify you in the midst of this hardship? That is the call of the Christian when we go through suffering and hardship in our life and just to commit our soul to the Lord and keep doing good. Trusting he's a faithful creator, that he's overseeing all things and he's working in our lives through those things. So not only do we suffer as Christians as others do, but sometimes again, our walk with Jesus and our desire to honor the word of God does what? brings even more suffering and <laughs> when <Yeah. laughs> brings even a harder stuff oh you mean i'm gonna suffer as a christian well did they not tell you when you got saved you actually signed up for more mm-hmm. not only are you going to have natural hardships now you're going to have spiritually induced hardships because you're going to honor the word of god in a world that people don't want to and you're going to try and follow jesus in a anti-christian spirit that's already permeating the world and is going to get more intense until it personifies in the antichrist himself So to some degree, we will experience even harder things. In fact, sometimes our suffering hardship can be extremely severe, and that's what Paul's describing in his verse, not just a a little inconvenience. I mean, look at Paul's language in verse 8. He describes their hardship by, first of all, saying, brethren, we don't want you to be unaware of the trouble, he says, which came to us in Asia, that is, in the region of Asia Minor. Now, commentators dispute here because they try and find a scriptural reference to what Paul's describing there in verse 8 when he says the trouble which came to us in the area of Asia Minor. And they look in accounts of scripture and they speculate this one and that one. You know, I'm actually going to go with what the Holy Spirit does there, which is he doesn't give the details. And God could have given the details. But when God chooses not to give the details, why should I? Input into there when God didn't give the details. Apparently, God chose to withhold the details and instead just to tell us what the experience was like. Paul says, I'm just going to tell you what it's like, but he doesn't tell us what the experience is. And I think that's just the wisdom of the Holy Spirit working through Paul, because guess what? Then we can all connect to what Paul's saying here, because if Paul said it was a specific thing, we would always regulate the scripture here to that. Oh, if it's not that, then I guess it doesn't apply. And here God just leaves it very generic so that when we journey through our own life as we have our own troubles in whatever region or situation we're in, we can relate to the word of God in the same way. That word trouble there is that same Greek word that we saw Paul use last time, thlipsis, which speaks of being under the weight of intense crushing pressure. It was the term that was used to describe the crushing of the olives and the olive press, the the huge amount of pressure to crush down to get and extract the precious oil. And it was even a term that was used as well to describe forms of severe torture, where they would literally crush the chest cavity of a person with severe pressure. And that's what term Paul uses for trouble here. An experience, he says, we went through where the trouble we're being subjected to was so heavy. The pressure... And the weight that we were under in that situation was so severe, he says it literally was a crushing experience. He's describing a life experience and hardship where you literally feel like it's suffocating you. Not just a hardship, but a crushing experience. And at times we can have those types of hardships in our lives. Paul describes the severity of it further in verse 8 by saying this crushing experience Whatever they were enduring, he says, it caused us, he says, look next, to be burdened, verse 8, beyond measure. That is Paul saying, this crushing experience, we were under the burden of it, was more than we could bear. It was more than we had ever bared before. the, the, The pressure of it, the capacity of the weight of it, Paul says, it was more than we could bear. We were utterly overwhelmed, what he's saying here. He then goes on, verse 8, to say, in fact, it was actually above our own strength, verse 8 he says, to be able to handle it. He says, we didn't have the ability to endure it. We were too weak to manage what was transpiring in our situation. We did not have the human capacity to overcome it in our own ability. Paul's describing how they came to this humble realization when they were under this crushing, burdensome Situation where Paul says, We humbly had to realize we are truly not strong enough to deal with this on our own. Our own resources, our own wisdom, our own resolve are not going to be sufficient to overcome this. Paul said, We had to admit we don't have the strength to beat this. We don't have the ability to overcome this. It's just too hard. In fact, Paul goes so far to say, The end of verse 8 and the beginning of verse 9. It caused us to despair even of life. Yes, he says, verse 9, we had the sentence of death, he says, within ourselves. Now, the language there indicates not that Paul wanted to die, nor is he saying that he wanted to end his life. He's simply saying we felt utterly hopeless. The word despair means to lose all hope. So Paul says we had lost all hope that we were even going to live through this thing. That's where Paul was at. Whatever him and his team were experiencing at that moment, the intense crushing pressure that was so burdensome and the experience was so hard and so severe, they were so overwhelmed that he says, honestly, the intensity of it brought us to such a place of utter despair that we had complete hopelessness that we were even going to get out the other side of it. They genuinely believed in some way that that was going to be their end at that point. And he was going through something in such a way where he says, you know, it was like I sensed a death sentence with this one. Paul says, I actually was kind of feeling like the outlook doesn't look good. This may actually be my end here. This might actually be the thing that finally crushes me and does me in because I don't know how I'm going to survive this. And there was that genuine sense. One translation renders this. We told ourselves this is the end. This is it. The idea is Paul said, I was kind of seeing my mortality. I was staring death in the face. And that's a tough place to be in your circumstances. That's a pretty severe spot to be in where you come to the place where it is so heavy, so bad, so difficult in your journey. And look, perhaps something has happened in your life at one point where maybe you can say, man, yeah, I, I was there at one point where what I was going through, it was so crushing so overwhelming, so burdensome, and I did not have the strength for it, and I started to think this may be the thing that does me in. Th- this, this may be it. This may be the thing that's the end for me because I don't see how I'm going to get out the other side of this. You may be going through something like that this morning where literally you feel like it's crushing and suffocating you, and you feel completely overwhelmed and like the burden is too much to handle, And sometimes we get to that place where we feel like we can't carry on. And this may be the end And times we take taken to our human extremity, literally brought to our limit as a human being. And we have exhausted all we know how to do to change the situation, to solve the situation, to get out of it. And it is all to no avail. And God allows, as I said earlier, us to be brought literally to the end of our rope as a human being. He literally allows us to be brought to that spot where we are out of options, there is nothing we can do, and we just sense we can't bear up under the crushing pressure, and Paul indicates then why God permitted that severe hardship. Look what he says in verse 9 as he goes on. Here's why God permitted it. He says, it was that, circle that word, that's that's a reason word, God let us experience such so that, We should not, verse 9, trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. So God, who sees and controls all things but more, and here's what's hard for us because we're here on this earth, God sees the whole eternal perspective on everything. God sees the much bigger picture. He's eternally focused, and he works according to that end. So that means God has a purpose in everything he allows to transpire on earth, and it doesn't always make earthly sense to us right? Isaiah says his ways are beyond our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And so that's where the quandary always comes in. Cause we try and reconcile. I should be able to understand. I, I don't see how, and the reality is, is sometimes on this side of the veil, we'll never see. It will all make sense in heaven. Cause there we will be worshiping with the rest around the throne of God saying righteous and true. were all of your ways. It all makes sense now in eternity. But on earth, God has an eternal perspective and he works everything to that end and has a purpose even in all that he allows to transpire on this earth. And look, in this situation, Paul's describing here in verse eight and nine, God did not afflict Paul with this suffering. This wasn't something Paul did as a mistake in his life. Suffering was simply a part of him and his team's experience because they were living in a fallen world. And we live in a fallen world and due to the influence of sin, This is a broken world with broken people and a broken system. And as the result of that, part of this life's journey is difficulty, is struggle, is periodic hardship and challenges. And God balances the blessings with the buffetings. And we experience both as we journey through this earth. And I can tell you this morning, you and I can do everything right. You can do everything absolutely right and you still won't escape periodic hardship. you can make all the right choices, you can pray, you can read your Bible, you can do everything right, but you from time to time, and I from time to time will still be allowed to suffer to endure hardships and struggles. but here's the good news, even the extremely extremely difficult times, God uses all that stuff the Bible's saying here for the greater good ultimately. the Bible says that God can turn a curse into a blessing right that he For those who love him and are called according to his purpose, he can work all things, all things together for some good purpose in the end in a way that he is like a master chemist able to take even the worst of things and somehow still bring something beneficial so it's not completely vain. Even as we go through some of the hardest and most perplexing times in our life. And notice God's purpose accomplished for Paul and his team. It's told us here in verse 9. One of the purposes clearly was helping to eliminate the tendency towards self-reliance. You see what Paul says there, verse 9? This happened, God allowed it, that we may or should not, excuse me, trust in ourselves. One of the clear things Paul saw is, I see one of the reasons God permitted this was to help eliminate our tendency towards self-reliance, that he would teach us not to trust in ourselves. See, trusting in ourselves is a natural human flaw that is hardwired into every one of us as broken people. Part of the fact that you and I are broken by a sin nature and we are broken people It is almost hardwired into us this flaw to trust in ourselves. And that's what causes us tons of problems as people. The inward part of us that's broken automatically leads us to self-reliance. So therefore, we make the mistake. The deceitfulness of our own human heart misguides us into thinking that we always know what's best for ourselves. And right before you came to Jesus, that's what got you in all the trouble. Your broken inward self made you think, misguided, that you knew what was best for yourself, and that leads us to leave self-willed, self-asserting, self-serving lives, and we're driven to do what we want and satisfy ourselves and push to advance our will and fight to accomplish our calls, and all that does is make us miserable. It makes us just go through hardship after hardship. And if that weren't enough, This fact of wrongly trusting ourselves in pride, we also then can tend to think that we know how to take care of ourselves and to handle everything on our own. And somehow that without assistance, we can take care of things. So then we resort to depending on our own human understanding, on our own ideas, how to solve every problem, and our own resolve and strength and efforts to fix everything and, and we begin to deal with life's problems. And then we're trying to navigate hard things. As we depend upon ourselves and self-reliance, we start trusting in ourselves that we will do whatever is necessary to fix this situation. And whatever it takes, we have the right ideas and we have the strength and the power and, the, and we will fix that. This will not happen. And and, and we, we just start to trust in our own ability to be our own deliverer and to fix things. And even apparently mature Christians can make this error, like Paul. Because Paul says, this is what we learned through it. Paul is a very mature Christian. And Paul says, sometimes we can lean on our own reserves and our own spiritual experience. And that can be the thing that actually starts to get in our way. But God who loves us and knows us says to us there in verse nine, look at it, we should not, Trust in ourselves. God says, I love you and I know you. And so my recommendation is you should not trust in yourself. See, the reality is this self-confidence and self-reliance and self-will is one of the greatest enemies to proper relationship with God. Let me say that again. Self-reliance and self-confidence and self-will is one of the greatest enemies to a proper relationship with God because all those things lead us to trust in ourselves. And when I trust in myself, I think that it's okay then to live more independently from God's constant involvement in our life. And that's what causes us pain and further difficulties. And God may at times use even the pressures of life to reveal to me or to remind you that we should not trust in ourselves, that this self-reliant thing, this depending upon oneself is not a good thing. And he wants to rid that from us. So he wants to rid us from self-reliance. And then secondly, Paul says in verse nine, he wants to cultivate what? Greater dependence upon God instead. He says that we should learn to not trust in ourselves, but the opposite, to trust dependence upon God. You know, the constant process of God in each of our lives is to reveal to us how trustworthy he is. That's a constant process of God going on in all of our lives, that God is trying to reveal to us how absolutely trustworthy he is. And he desires us to learn how valuable and vital it is for us to trust in him over ourselves or over anything else for that matter and often it is during is it not the most difficult times we go through as humans that we are humbled and our spirit is broken and we actually consider help from an alternate source and a lot of times it is the hard times that become the doorway to turn me from self-reliance to god-dependence And somehow God can use those things to get us to stop trusting this or trusting ourselves, and more dependent and trusting in him. And God works in that way initially for each person's salvation. Look, to some degree, how many of us this morning, it was through the doorway of difficulties and challenges and hardships that God kind of used that doorway to ultimately usher us into a place where we ultimately accepted Christ as Savior. And sometimes God will do that because He knows what it takes to break our human spirit or to get us to a place where we actually recognize, hey, through these circumstances I am realizing I am empty. And and I am making a mess, and my life is not and, and all of a sudden we start realizing that we're sinful and that we have guilt and regret and failures and that we're struggling and, and it's through that process of difficulty that God's saying, Right, I'm trying to teach you for eighteen years you've been trusting yourself, son. Look where you got. I'm trying to get you to trust me. I'm trying to get you to realize I'm dependable. I do a much better, you know, work with your life if you let me be involved. And oftentimes God brings so many to salvation through that process to get us to the place where we finally look to him to take away our guilt and to take away our emptiness and to forgive us of our failures and to love us when no one else will. And we realize, God, I need you to deliver me deliver me from myself and help me and save me. And that's often what brings us to trust in Jesus as our savior and start to follow him as Lord. But even after we're saved, is it not true? This is a constant process like Paul and his team and you and I, God's always taken us through. He's constantly taking us through this process, helping us to learn that life on earth can be hard. And sometimes God will use those hardships to teach us further the lessons of ridding us of self-reliance and causing us to learn that we should trust him. And and in a sense that he's saying, look, I want to work. Would you let me do it? If you work somehow, you might think it was the work of your flesh, but sometimes God says, I'm trying to get you to the place where you realize, I want to work. I want to show off that I'm God. I want to flex my muscles. Let me demonstrate that I'm God. Let me demonstrate I'm a God who has all power, but I need you to trust me because faith is living without scheming. And guys, the Bible says that without faith it's impossible to please God. That we must believe that He is and that He's a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. And when we're scheming, typically we're not living by faith. Because faith says, I can't and I shouldn't, but God can and God might and God will, and so therefore, God, I'm trusting you. Please, God, do something here. Show your power, get the glory for it, demonstrate your work. And God's trying to teach us through that process, the error of this mistake of relying on ourselves instead of relying on him. And, you know, the word of God is replete with encouragements to this end. Jeremiah 17 says, Cursed is the one who trusts in man, who draws his strength from mere flesh, and whose heart turns away from the Lord. But blessed are those who trust in the Lord and have made the Lord their hope and their confidences in him. You know, perhaps this morning or recently in this season, you've been going through a process where maybe this is the lesson the Lord's been trying to drive home. I'm trying to rid you of self-reliance. I'm trying to take away from you this tendency to kind of work things out in the flesh and to learn how to depend upon me to put your trust in me, to let me work. And Paul reveals as well, the end of verse nine, a strong reason why we should trust in God. Well, man, that, that sounds scary. Why should I trust in God? Well, it's a pretty good place to put your confidence. He says, he's a God, look at verse nine, who raises the dead. That's a good place to put your confidence in. Someone who has the power to raise the dead. You know, it's been proven multiple times, both in the scriptures, Old Testament and New, right? That God has the power to raise the dead. And the Bible tells us that God changes not, and there is no stronger power anyone can possess in my personal estimation than to have the power to overcome death. I mean, think of the analogy the Bible is drawing for us here in the midst of this declaration about God's power being portrayed as the God who raises the dead to be able to take what has died and bring it back to life. You'll know, think of death for a minute if you would. Death is a picture, is it not, of finality? It's a picture of finality, because as long as someone or something still has even a slim measure of life left in it, there's still a sense of hope, right? I mean, somebody can be on their last thread, but until they're pronounced dead, there's always this slim measure of hope. But when death finally happens, there's a sense of finality. Okay, that is the end. Hope has now come to an end and death is a picture in that sense of finality. Hope is no longer there to return or to revive. And death is also a picture of complete inability because a dead person can do nothing to change their situation. If someone dies, tragically, they can't resurrect themselves. They can't solve problems anymore. They can't assist people anymore. Death is a picture of inability. The only thing a dead person could do is hope that maybe someone else could revive them and by their power assist them in the midst of their complete inability. So here he says God has this kind of power. He's a God who has the power to raise the dead. Our almighty God possesses that power to take what has died or essentially is lost or in a hopeless state and revive it again. That's the power that our God possesses. Romans 4, Paul talks about this reality. He says, God gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did. In other words, God can look at something that doesn't exist and God says, yes, it does. No, it doesn't. It doesn't yet. But if I want it to exist, I can make it exist at any moment because I have power to raise the dead. The Bible says of Abraham's great faith, contrary to all hope, he believed according to what was spoken, the word of God, promise. So shall your descendants be. And not being weak in faith, he didn't consider his own body already dead, being a hundred years old, and the deadness of Sarah's womb, he did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God, being fully convinced that what he had promised, he was able to perform. Do You see the words? What he had promised, he was able to perform. That if God promises something, God has the power to fulfill it. Look, perhaps this morning you are facing a hard situation and maybe to a degree, like someone who's dead, it appears utterly impossible. It, finality. There's just no way. It, it, it's dead. There's just no way possible. It, or maybe hope is dying. Look, I don't know what the will of the Lord is in your situation. And I don't want to be unsensitive to indicate that I know what the Lord's will is in that situation. But on the authority of the word of God, let me encourage your heart to tell you that we serve a God who has the power to raise that which has died back to life, if he wills. And I can tell you this, God does not promise to resurrect everything. But if it's his will, he can resurrect whatever he wants. And he has the power to do it. So my recommendation, we ask for the stars And then we just humbly accept whatever a good, loving father allows and ultimately knows best. But don't stop asking for the stars. What's to be lost? We serve a God who raises the dead. Certainly go down swinging, asking, see what God does. And when you endure a hard time, as Paul says here, look, God knows. He says God's aware of what's going on and God can and will use difficult things for beneficial things. In all of our lives, he can strip us from qualities that aren't good within us in hard times, Paul says, and he can cultivate greater dependency upon God and show us his power in greater ways. That's why Paul then next goes on to describe how in this hardship in verse 10, what God did, he says, verse 10, this God who raises the dead, who was teaching us through this process, he delivered us from so great a death and he does deliver us in whom we trust that he will still Deliver us. So Paul testifies of God's mighty rescue in that dire situation, whatever it was Paul and his team were going through. He says, I can tell you this God mightily intervened in that situation I'm telling you about. In that situation, it was dire, it was bad. And he says, Good news is this in that situation, God made a mighty intervention into our lives and he delivered us. And he has confidence, Paul says. He'll continue to bring deliverance as needed. Paul says we were in a bad spot and God intervened. He stepped into our situation. He says, and he delivered us, man. It was incredible. It was awesome. And Paul says this powerful intervention happened in our lives. And I think Paul is trying to encourage them of this reality to think in their own lives, no doubt as Christians as well. Is it not true? There have been times in your life, Paul saying to the church, where you were in a really bad spot. You were in a dire circumstance, a really bad place, and God intervened. And he powerfully delivered in a miraculous way. And he did something to spare you or to save you or to rescue you in the midst of a hardship. When God intervenes and works in a way to rescue like that, he says, man, we should testify of that. That's a wonderful reality to brag on God. Look, I'll tell you this morning in this room today, in this room today, you and I all sitting here, our lives are a bunch of victory trophies of God's deliverance. That's what we are. We're, we're, We're like a room full of victory trophies of God's grace and his power and his deliverance in this room this morning. And Paul says not only did he deliver us, but he says in verse 10 as well, He's still delivering us. That is presently he delivered in the past. He's presently delivering us right now. Paul says we're going through things again. We keep seeing God's constantly delivering us that no matter when we call out for his rescue, he steps in and is ready to bring his deliverance and rescue us And again. Perhaps this morning you are right now in a situation and maybe you're kind of trapped. Maybe you're in a spot this morning in your life where it's very hard and hope's diminishing and maybe the ship is sinking and it is going down and you feel trapped and stuck and you need a rescue. Look, despite how it feels, despite how it looks, despite what others may say or you can no longer do, can I encourage you this morning, there is still a God who can intervene. And I encourage you, use the words of the psalmist in Psalm 144, he cried out in this way, stretch out your hand from above, rescue me deliver me out of great waters from the hand of the enemies god always stands ready to deliver and paul because of the past deliverance and the present deliverance and the ways that god was working notice he says as well in verse 10 that this gave him confidence that god will remain continually dependable because he goes on in verse 10 to say in whom we trust now that he will still deliver us that is Whatever comes ahead, Paul knew part of the days ahead would be the next trial or some other hardship around the corner or some other difficult experience. But Paul says whatever comes and when they do arise, he says God's past deliverance and his present work in our life is what builds our confidence that God will stay dependable whatever tomorrow holds or whatever next month brings about or whatever hardship appears in the future that God will again come to our aid and assist us and intervene. And you know, it's the faithfulness of God in our past and present that should inspire faith within our hearts to trust God with our futures and whatever may come in our futures. And it allows us to live in peace about the unknowns of the days ahead instead of the constant anxiety, right? That can come in and grip us and attack us with all the What if, oh, all this, well, well, what if next? What if, what if, what if God says, whatever happens, I'm going to be God then too. And I have the power to intervene then and to help in that situation and to, to be with you. And God says, whatever happens, I'll assist you through that too. I'll help you in that situation as well. And that lets us walk forward in faith and depend upon God to be God, whatever unfolds, whatever transpires that God will continue to be dependable. And look how Paul concludes in verse 11 regarding God's deliverance, he says, and you also are helping together in prayer for us that many thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf for that gift or favor granted to us, he says, through many. So Paul's identifying a spiritual principle in verse 11 here, which is this, is that God chooses to work with his power through the process of his people's prayer requests. He says, how does God's deliverance come about? Well, he says one of the ways is actually it's God answering the prayers of his people in the midst of hardship and difficult times. That as people ask God to powerfully work, trusting he'll help, God responds. One translation renders this, and you are helping us by praying for us. That many people will then give thanks because of the gracious favor granted to us in answer to the prayers of many. See, Paul understood an important thing that one of the ways we as people, hear me, get to participate in God's work, one of the ways we as people get to participate in the process of God's deliverance is through the ministry of prayer. You know, Acts chapter 12, Peter gets imprisoned and he's in a difficult spot, he's stuck in a hardship. And it literally says that the whole church came together and started praying and pleading with God. And what happened? God orchestrated a mighty deliverance and did something miraculous and incredible in Peter's situation. Amazing. No protests. They had no social media platforms. They had no ability to hire this group or get that attorney. None of that. But what they did is say, what we sincerely know is this. We serve a God of all power. And a group of sincere Christians came together and they started pleading with God to intervene in the situation and to get his hand involved. And God did something miraculous. And afterwards, nobody questioned where it came from. Everybody knew God did a miracle. The power of God got involved in that situation. You know, Paul understood this reality, and that's why he's saying here, look, Your prayers are helping us. It's your prayers. And as you're praying and other people are praying and God's listening and God's answering, he says, the wonderful thing, this is going to cause many of us on the backside of this because we know that we prayed and God worked. He says, we're going to be able to worship and thank God together. No, man, we serve a God who listens and loves us and acts and demonstrates his power. And he can do things for his glory that we could never do on our own. But this morning, let me encourage you. What is genuinely the most helpful thing that you can do for any person, especially in a hard time? I don't mean to be cliche to say it is to pray for them. It truly is to pray for them, because in so doing, when we pray, we are asking for the direct involvement of an all loving, all knowing, almighty, all wise God to directly intervene into a personal situation to work to the best on a person's behalf according to the way that he determines would be best to orchestrate something in that situation. And I don't in any way mean to diminish times when we may be called to lovingly, practically help people in matters. I'm not discounting that sometimes that is God's response as well. But sometimes I have found, perhaps you've discovered, my human assistance may not even be the best thing for somebody. Well, oh, okay. Sometimes God's saying, if you would stop playing savior, I could save his soul. If you just get out of the way, every time he's ready to crash and look up, you're a good savior, but you're really getting on my nerves. I'm the only savior. Get out of my way, please. And sometimes our human intervention, good intention, we actually get in the way. And because maybe God's doing something and God's saying, I'm trying to do something this way. I know what I'm doing here. And so sometimes our human intervention can actually be an interference to what God actually wants to do. Now, other times we see a situation and maybe we want to help, but maybe we can't help. Maybe we can't afford to write the check to help somebody financially. Maybe we don't have the ability to intervene. You know, there have been times, you know, I get up, got a phone call late last evening for someone who was out of state, who has a family member in another state who is having problems and, and look, they're in this state, I'm in this state, they're in that state. What can really be done? We can pray because God's in every state and we can pray. God, can you intervene in that situation? We can do nothing practically. God, please intervene in that situation. And we learn this is one of the best ways for us to participate with God, to participate with God. Paul says, you are actually helping us by your prayers for us, so that many of us then can be thanking God together for what he has done. Because see, then God gets the glory. We don't strive in the flesh. And God demonstrates his power, and people see God, and they become grateful worshipers. And look, if our earthly difficulties cause us to trust God more, to see God more, to worship God more, then is it fair to say that in the end, The earthly problems we endure better prepare us for eternity. And isn't that the whole goal? Let's stand together. Let's pray.